All right, so I must be a masochist because I've set up quite the Herculean task for myself. I'm about to attempt to give my reaction to a podcast which exceeds three hours in length. But in an attempt to maintain both my sanity and your attention, I may excise some rather large chunks. Uh, but here we go, my reaction to Sam Harris and Omar Aziz. I'm often charged by people like Glenn Greenwald with having a cult of followers who just agree with everything I say. As far as I can tell, your tolerance for me appearing to be intellectually dishonest is non-existent, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And the fact that so many of you thought it looked shady for me not to release the full podcast, that really bothered me. So here it is. Now, as you might imagine, I've elected not to spend the 500 to to $1,000 it would have cost me to clean up all the breaths and mouth noises. No, I didn't need to leave this first part in. But as a podcaster, damn, the pros pay that much to have someone edit out all their breaths. Uh, I may switch professions. Anyone need some uh, debreathing done? I'll be leaving all my breaths in because I'm lazy and I already have about three hours of editing ahead of me. We've edited out all the big Skype glitches and bathroom breaks and coughing fits. And there were many moments when Omer and I were talking over one another which on Skype just becomes a total mess and you can barely understand what's being said. And the same thing winds up being said a moment later once one person just stops trying to interrupt the other. So, in the interest of preserving your sanity and your hearing, we cut those bits as well. Omar Aziz on the line. Omar, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sam. I expect this will be a difficult conversation. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be difficult, but uh, hopefully it will also be useful. Uh, but before we get into it, please tell our listeners a little about yourself and, and where you're from and, and what you're doing now. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to exploring our areas of disagreement and potentially of, uh, of agreement. Um, so I'm a law student at Yale Law School. I focus on human rights and foreign policy. Um, first and foremost, I consider myself a writer. I studied in England and France and Canada and now the U.S., um, born to Muslim family that originally came from Pakistan. And I'm interested in all of these issues around religion, around human rights, around foreign policy, and in exploring fundamentally the best way forward. So in a nutshell, that's what I'm about. Mm. You're, you're, so you're getting your JD now at Yale, right? That's right. So what did you do your undergraduate in and where did you do that? So I did my undergraduate in politics, um, but really more so in books because um, I, I spent it more um, not going to class, of course. And I did it in Canada at Queen's, Queen's University. I did my master's in international relations in, um, in, in Cambridge. But again, I didn't go to class. I spent my time traveling uh, throughout the Middle East. And I think that was really where my perceptions of – Islam and the Muslim world changed a lot. I think before that, um, I was reacting, as many people who come out of religious families do, towards um, sort of the religion and culture of their birth. And so I probably would have agreed with you more at that point. But then you know, I went to Iraq and Jordan, for example, and did some reporting and saw it for myself um, and then went and, and came to Yale to begin my JD. Are you a practicing Muslim? You were born into a Muslim family and have been identified as a Muslim all your life? Or you, or you say you you came to your commitment to Islam later in life? Yeah, well, I mean, I come from an interesting family that I think is representative, really, um, in terms of one of my parents being very secular and very skeptical, and one of my parents being very believing, but not proselytizing. Um, and so I was practicing at one point. I don't like that term now. That jumped right out at me when he says he doesn't like that term, 
practicing. And he's about to say that he's still a cultural Muslim. But I thought it was kind of weird for someone that doesn't like the term practicing. It, that probably means he doesn't buy into the supernatural claims, but he, you know, he still considers himself uh, a cultural Muslim, the way some atheists might still consider themselves a cultural Catholic. They don't really buy into it, but it's still part of their ethnic identity. Yeah, but it always seems kind of weird to me when people who aren't really believers kind of white knight for religion. There's some things that even I like about certain religions, but at the end of the day, I'm a non-believer, and I don't feel any PC impulse to have to defend the doctrine of any given faith. I identify culturally as uh, as a Muslim and was within the community of Islam because it was part of my upbringing. You know, when Eid comes around once a year, I want to be with my family and want to want to celebrate. But I'm philosophically agnostic, and so you could say I might even agree with you on the question of whether God exists. <laughs> then why not condemn religious fundamentalism instead of condemning Sam Harris? I know, I know, I'm jumping the gun. They haven't even warmed up yet. Or as Hitch used to say, they've barely gotten their trousers off, or something to that effect. Right, right. Okay. Well, I'm talking to you now because of the book review you published in Salon. That's right. My favorite website. Not Sam's favorite website. In which you wrote very critically and dismissively about the book I wrote with Majid Nawaz, Islam and the Future of Tolerance. And uh, so rather than just talk to you about the review in general, I'm going to have you read it out loud on the podcast so that we can discuss it point for point. This should be great. It's like an oral presentation. I once gave an oral presentation in middle school with my zipper down. Actual story. Now, you've agreed to do this, but under some duress. You told me by email you think this is a terrible idea. But I, yeah. I, I want our listeners to understand why I've structured the conversation this way. Now, first, you can say anything you want. I mean, I'm simply insisting that you also read every word of your review so that our listeners can hear it and I can respond to it. But you can make any caveats or supporting points you want, and we can talk about anything under the sun. I just want to deal with your review first and and pretty systematically. Um, yeah. So that, so there's I mean, just to be clear, there's absolutely nothing about this that is closing down debate or conversation. I'm not going to edit anything you say unless you ask me to. Sure. Um, and um, but it, so here is why I want to focus on the review. First, it's a very common experience for a person to read a review like this or or even to write one and to have no idea what the target of this kind of criticism could or would say in response. Because there's simply no good format in which to answer charges like this. And so as an experiment, I want to use my podcast for this, if only just this once. Uh, and in particular, I want our listeners to know what it's like, and I want you to know what it's like, for me to read a review like this, actually almost in real time, sentence by sentence, because it seems to me you can't possibly know how fully this essay of yours misfires from my point of view. I mean, you, you took the time to write it. Mm -hmm. Presumably, you think your statements are clear and accurate and that you've built a very damning case against me and Majid, in particular me. But there's almost no single sentence here that survives scrutiny. And, and I want to demonstrate this for you. Yeah. And let me just make a quick point. My, my initial reservations to doing it in this format, and I highlighted this when you said it's never been done before. And my suggestion that it's never been done before is because this could descend into a kind of Talmudic parsing of... Talmudic parsing? Let's not drag the Jews into this. Kidding. 
you know, single sentences and words that won't be helpful at all. Now, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that's that's not going to happen. Um, on the second point, I think in an earlier podcast, you said that I really hate you and or I hate Majid and I hate you even more. And I want to correct that. I don't hate you and I don't hate Majid. I find some of your ideas to be repugnant. Repugnant? I don't think that's a word. Then again, a couple episodes back, I mispronounced epithet as epithet, like Boba Fett. And I had a horrible flashback to my early childhood when I had trouble with the TH sound and I got ridiculed in front of everyone by a little blonde girl. Wonder how she's doing today. Probably better than me. That's the way this godless universe works. I was responding to those. I didn't call you a racist. I didn't call you a bigot at all. I didn't call you any names. I'm merely contending and responding to the ideas that I read in your book. And so that was my, my intention, at least. Okay, well, that, that's fine. And we'll, and we'll get into what you said specifically and its sure. implications. And, I, and again, it's not going to be a rabbinical parsing of every word, but I, just, I do want to move through it systematically. And I, I, I want to also make clear that, that my goal isn't to embarrass you, and my goal really isn't even to debate, ultimately. I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to bridge the gap between your essay and the, the cynicism that it communicates to me and a, what I would consider a real conversation. But I think doing this is going to take some real work because it's, you know, I think we're very far apart on the page. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, obviously I'm going to cut you some slack because I understand that no one writes an article like this anticipating to then have to read it to its primary target. And I can only assume that even if you kept your opinions about me as they are, you would probably phrase a few of these points differently in the context of an actual conversation. So I, I think one thing to make clear up front is that your insults don't matter to me. I, I mean, I don't take anything you've written personally. Good, you shouldn't. The problem is I don't take anything you've written to heart at all because it, it's as though you're writing from a, another universe here. And this is what I find so troubling, and this is why I want to have this conversation. So that, I mean, the problem for me in general, just to step back before we get into the text here, is that I understand Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Baghdadi. That's funny. Better than you understand me and Majid. And, I, and I, I can actually say this with certainty because you are absolutely wrong about me and Majid. And, and I could ascribe beliefs to al-Baghdadi at random and do a better job than you've done here. I could throw the I Ching and come to a better understanding of his motives than you have come to an understanding of ours by reading and reviewing yeah. our book. The, the only thing I want to say to that is that I think I understand Baghdadi better than you and Majid understand Baghdadi. I wish this was Friday night so I could play the Baghdadi drinking game. Because I actually factor in to account his political strategy, his geostrategic policy that he's had in Syria and in Iraq that's allowed al-Qaeda in Iraq, the Islamic State in Iraq, to go from being a ragtag group of rebels that was decimated in 2011 to be this very powerful militia in 2016. And that, like the political factors, and I hope we get to them, those are things that you and Majid don't discuss. I don't, I don't see you taking an interest in. Okay, but, but that's a totally separate point. I mean, whether you understand Baghdadi better than I do, we can discuss. I'm saying that I understand him, this person who is practically infinitely distant from me on the moral and political and religious and intellectual spectrum, better than you understand me and Majid. And we have told you our motives for writing this book, right? So that that's what I find so strange here. Sam, I don't care about your motives, though. I don't like for me. It's what the book says. No, no, right? you, and what no, you said before. You describe. Our, uh, we're going to get into this because one of the things I'm going to take issue with very early on in your review is your ascription of motives to us. But again, let me just step back for a second. You're a very smart person who is capable of writing about these issues honestly. I mean, in fact, I told you by email that you had a piece in the New Republic 
about jihadism. I think it's called mm -hmm. the soul of a jihadist mm -hmm. that I totally agreed with. Right. So, so that's the mystery I want to attempt to resolve, that you could mm -hmm. write an article on jihadism that I could recommend almost without reservation. Mm -hmm. And yet you could review my dialogue with Majid so uncharitably mm -hmm. that I can honestly say from my point of view that you communicated nothing but your own confusion and prejudice. Okay, so, so my goal here, again, just to be clear, is I want to bridge that gap, essentially, between your two articles. Mm -hmm. um, but I, th I really think it's not going to be easy because, from my point of view, almost no sentence in your review does what you think it does. That's where we're starting. And I think the only other thing I want to say before, we, before you start reading your review is that our listeners should know that I've sent you a version of it where I've marked a few, I've marked many places where I think there's something for us to talk about. And I did this because given the, the time lag on Skype, I didn't want to continually be talking over you as you began reading a new sentence or paragraph. So you have the complete text of your review marked by me, and you'll just read sections, and then we'll pause and then begin speaking about relevant points. Yeah, sure. And I hope that, you know, just, just to respond to your previous point about my New Republic piece, which I still stand by, of course, there's a difference between examining the assumptions, the beliefs, and the motivations of an isolated extremist and then extrapolating that all right, so I'm willing to eat some crow. He actually does sound like he's willing to recognize and criticize extremism to some degree. And saying that that is either representative of an authentic or a legitimate form of Islam. And my, my intention in writing this piece and in critiquing your views is that how do we actually get a reformation? How do we actually get cultural liberalism in the Middle East? And I propose that your solutions and Majid's solutions, which focus on verses almost to the exclusion of politics, is the wrong way forward. So okay. that, that's what I'll say on that. Okay, well, let's go. Please start with the title. Sure. Um, the, so the title that the Salon editors put on this, which, which, and these are the only words in the entire piece that are not my own, is Sam Harris's Detestable Crusade. Wow, that's a hell of a title. And I know supposedly Omar didn't entitle the piece he wrote, but damn, what? Sam Harris's detestable crusade against religious fundamentalism, against uh, literal interpretation of superstitious man-made texts. Sam Harris's detestable crusade against terrorism and carnage. Um, and I think that I also want to have my original title, which I put, which they changed, of course, it, it was originally called The Poverty of the Intellectuals, Sam Harris, Majid Nawaz, and the Illusion of Tolerance. And look, I wouldn't use a, a phrase like detestable crusade because to me that's clickbait nonsense. And that's what all editors from time immemorial have done. And so you can, you know, you can rebut that and we probably agree that that's not a helpful title. But okay. I stand by my own in saying that the ideas in here in this, in this tract were very often impoverished, yes. Okay, well, that, well, that's very interesting. But so, please just read the full title and the subtitle, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, sure. Just give me a uh, here. So this this the full title was Sam Harris's detestable crusade. How his latest anti-Islam tract reveals his the bankruptcy of his ideas. And the subtitle was Harris's haughty ignorance and chauvinism are on full display in his new book, A Dialogue with a Former Radical, by Omar Aziz. Right. Okay, so so it's interesting to, as I expected, you didn't write this title, and you're not actually happy with it. Which so now you are, I think, the third writer from Salon who I've communicated with. One of them is another Muslim who's just as critical of me as you are, who felt the need to apologize for the title that Salon put on their. No, no, no I, I don't apologize. I don't apologize because 
This is not my, these are not my words. Well, you could apologize anyway. Your name is on the piece. A little courtesy and human decency wouldn't hurt. They're no, on no, my I, article, but what, this happens with uh, – you've written before for, for public uh, magazines as well, and you're well aware that editors choose the titles. I'm not saying you're apologizing for yourself, but it's not a title that you stand behind. But let me just point out in case this blew by people too quickly. You know, as with almost every other Salon article about me, there isn't even a pretense of journalistic objectivity here. I mean there's, there's clearly an editorial policy there to make me look as bad as possible. And here the reader is told, just straight out told, that my work is detestable, my ideas are bankrupt, that I am haughty, ignorant, and chauvinistic. Okay, I think we're going to at least a couple more times hear accusations of chauvinism from Omar against Sam. And I found that to be very bizarre. Sam Harris is a lot of things, but chauvinistic isn't one of them. Uh, I don't know him personally, but just from his debates, from his books, from his public uh, lectures or speeches, I've never heard anything remotely chauvinistic from him. If women ever come up in his discussions, it might be what he sees as the oppression of women in certain parts of the Muslim world. Female genital mutilation, honor killings... Uh, being forced to cover oneself up in public, burkas, etc. And maybe that's what it is. Every once in a while, a kind of apologist will try to say, by condemning burkas and things like that, you're being chauvinistic against Muslim women. And, and maybe that is uh, the card that uh, Omer's trying to play here. And I pointed this out in my last interview with Salon. This this is the behavior of a tabloid. I mean, no real magazine or newspaper does this. But in any case, just, just get into the article. Yeah, sure. So let's start. There are a few get-rich-quick schemes left in modern publishing, but one that persists could be called Project Islamic Reformation. Writing a book that fits in this category is actually quite easy. First, label yourself a reformist. Never mind the congratulatory self-coronation the tag implies. It is necessary to segregate oneself from all the non-reformists out there. Second, make your agenda clear at the outset by criticizing what is ailing Islam and Muslims. The Quran is a good place to start. Indeed it is. Like most of the texts of the Abrahamic faiths, it contains some questionable stuff you probably wouldn't want to base a belief system on. And hopefully that get-rich-quick scheme bit jumped out at you. And I hope you paid attention because that's going to be a recurring theme. There's going to be this charge from Omer that Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz wrote their book simply to make money. And this is such an insulting allegation to me. It's outrageous. And I'm not just saying this because I'm an admirer of Sam Harris. I'm saying this because it would upset me unless it was unless it was something really outlandish, you know, some real kind of snake oil. I think you should usually, as a rule of thumb, give an author the benefit of the doubt that they're writing about a subject because they care about it and not that they're just writing for the money. And in a capitalistic society, isn't one of 
the main goals of life, trying to earn money, doing something that you're passionate about. So who cares if they're earning money? Earning money and being sincere aren't mutually exclusive. Are you then going to call into question the motives of every author that they're only writing about what they're writing about because of the money? And this weird idea that writing about reforming Islam is a get-rich-quick scheme, uh, I actually find it slanderous, uh, especially towards Majid Nawaz, a, a guy who used to be a radical who spent time in an Egyptian jail and who is now fighting against radicalism and trying to reform his own faith. And it's like, you're not a mind reader. How you know what's in Majid Nawaz's mind? Why not give the guy the benefit of the doubt after all that he's been through that he's being sincere? I'm thinking about myself, for example. I started this podcast because I want to communicate my ideas to people. And originally I was going to write a book, but I decided that it would be more expedient to do a podcast. But I did, I wrote several chapters. I plan on continuing the book at some point. But do I hope if I ever do complete that book that I might earn some money off of it? Yes. Is Everything that I wrote in the book so far, what I have written, sincere, absolutely 110%. Is that mathematically possible? So there's just something that I find really offensive about that, questioning an author's sincerity. And we could turn that right back around on Omer. Maybe he's only writing these salon articles and whatever else, targeting Sam Harris because Sam Harris is a high-profile figure, and he knows it's a quick way to get attention, you know, going after high-profile figures. Now, I'm willing to give Omar the benefit of the doubt that he's sincere, and I think he owes Sam and Majid the same courtesy. Because Muslims, especially in the Middle East, surely treat their holy book more like a military instruction manual than anything else. Third, propose a few solutions. Lest you be accused of nuance, the more vague and generic these are, the better. Fourth, soak up the inevitable, inevitable publicity that awaits, and with it, your hard-earned cash. Voila, Sam. Okay, so you actually believe that writing a short book like this about reforming Islam for Harvard University Press is an extremely lucrative thing to do? I mean, if, if you do, I need to educate you about the reality of publishing. And you know, even but even I don't it, think it's lucrative. Even I, if it maybe were, it's lucrative. It's easy though. It's it's simple. No, no, it's intellectual it, fast food, Sam. You intellectual fast food. What smug little shit? I usually don't name call, but this guy is outrageous. Describe this as a get rich quick scheme, okay? And it, so even if this were a great way to make money, which it isn't, you actually think that money would be our primary motive in writing a book like this? I'm not sure what your primary motive is. Then why repeatedly accuse them of doing it for the money? And this guy supposedly studying law. A prime example of why you shouldn't assume someone's smarter than you just because they go to a fancy school or have a law degree. They might be smart in some regards. They might excel academically. But at the same time, they just might be short on plain old common sense.
I know that if I were to dish out a book about Islam and use the words reformation and terrorist, I could get a book deal in about five seconds. In fact, I could write that kind of book in my sleep. That might apply to numerous topics. That doesn't mean that the author's not sincere. If I want to, I could probably write articles like you bashing Sam Harris. Uh, that probably wouldn't take too much brain power. But I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're coming from a sincere place. And not just doing it because it's easy. And the guy, I almost called him a kid because the way he comes across. Once again, you know, he just comes off as so smug. He could write a book on reforming Islam in his sleep. Well, why not do it? It certainly looks like the world's in need of it. I, I believe the majority of Muslims out there are good people. It's a small portion that are committing violent acts of terrorism. But primarily right now, acts of terrorism are being perpetrated by not just any fundamentalists, Islamic fundamentalists. For instance, as I'm recording this, we're in the wake of these recent Brussels attacks. When I woke up a couple of days ago and I heard that there had been a terrorist attack or terrorist attacks in Belgium, I didn't wake up saying, hmm, I wonder if Buddhists did it. I wonder if Sikhs did it. I wonder if members of the Cherokee Nation did it. I knew it was going to be Muslim radicals. So even though the extremists are just a small portion of the total population of the world's Muslims, it doesn't change the fact that we are experiencing a severe and dire problem of violent Muslim extremism. So maybe, Omer, you should write that book. It's not that diff it's not that difficult to do. This is to me this is intellectual fast food. And frankly, I think you guys could have done better. I mean it's a different point. You, okay, you, I understand you don't like the book and you think we could have written a better book. So far, Sam's being a lot more patient, actually directly dealing with Omar than I am listening to him. But just wait. Just wait and see. You're going to see a side of Sam Harris you've never experienced before. You're ascribing motives to us here, right? This is the first paragraph of your piece. You describe this as a get-rich-quick scheme. Now, I'm talking about your understanding of what Majid and I are up to. Now, I find your cynicism here fairly breathtaking. I mean, you, you think Majid's career as a reformer, okay, as a former Islamist who spent years in an Egyptian prison and who now seeks to deprogram Islamists and jihadists, incurring massive security concerns as a result and foregoing every other opportunity he might have, you actually think that this is a get-rich-quick scheme on his part? You think this is how he thinks he can make the most money? Look, I, I tell you that there's there's been a litany of books that have been published very recently. They're not scholarly tracts that repeat the same slogans over and over again. They're short pamphlets. And yes, I mean, maybe it's not get rich quick, but it's get rich soon, at least. You build a platform on it. You uh, accumulate a mass following based on people who love the idea of saying, yeah, just write a book, accumulate a massive following and get rich. Easy as pie telling Muslims that they should reform by cutting out verses of their holy book, which no other religion has been expected or demanded to do. Bullshit of the highest order. You're telling me people don't complain about the barbarism in the Old Testament, the stuff in Leviticus about homosexuals being put to death, the killing of witches, stoning of adulteresses, etc. 
non-believers like myself rail against that stuff all the time. And many good-natured believing Christians choose to ignore that stuff all the time. So we do ask people of other faiths, not just Islam, to ignore or water down the nastier bits of their holy texts. And yes, I mean, I don't think it's a serious, serious intellectual exercise. Okay. And Again, and... again, Omer, it's a different point. We can talk about whether it's a serious intellectual exercise, but... Do you think it's difficult to call for a reform of Islam in America today? Do you... I imagine it is difficult, especially when you have to deal with the PC police calling you racist or xenophobic. Actually, think yeah, it's difficult. What, Does it threaten your security? Absolutely. We will get into this. This is why one we have to be. One of the major be... parties of the democracy are calling for, have been calling for this in very fascistic tones. I don't think it's an intellectually brave thing to do. I'm sorry. Who cares if it's intellectually brave or not? What matters is if it's something that we need to do. And obviously, since there's new terrorist attacks taking place. Every other week in Western countries, it seems like, uh, maybe that's a bit hyperbolic, but not by much. Obviously, some type of reformation is necessary, at least in regard to this cancer of Muslim extremism. Omer, we got to move through this systematically, all right? I'm talking about your ascription of motive. You are making assumptions here which are flat wrong. First of all, there, there's Majid's case of being a reformer and yeah. and all very the, little standing in Muslim communities. The, the, the fact that he has little standing in Muslim communities, if what Omar is saying is correct, should be a, a cause for alarm. Not taken as a sign that Majid doesn't have anything valuable to say. The price he's paid for this, all right. So you know the fact. I mean, he lost a wife and son over this, all right. And you are describing him as an opportunist who's just out to make a buck, okay? Now. And I, I want and I want to return to that. with right wing organizations is probably why I would do that. I, I mean, there's there are plenty of reformers Omer, that are working on the ground. And Majid is not right wing. I don't know if he has associations with right wing groups or not, but he himself is outspokenly a leftist on most issues. He just believes we shouldn't let political correctness get in the way of having a dialogue about Islam and the problem of extremism. You're filibustering. Every day. I'm, I'm, I'm not filibustering. I'm explaining. Let, to, I'm trying to get back to the first point you're jumping off of, right, which is the ascription of motive. Now, speaking personally, I'm giving you information you don't actually have about me, all right? Speaking personally, right, the, the, the challenge for me is to make the work I do on this topic, the topic of Islam, remotely viable and not to have the resulting damage done to my reputation by people like you not close the door to other opportunities. Viable to whom? Viable, Viable uh, to whom? To, to get, Muslims? To no, 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 no. To even get paid for it. Okay. Or you, you describe this as a get-rich-quick scheme, right? You realize that having people call you a racist and a bigot and a chauvinist and an Islamophobe isn't good for your career, right? I mean, you, you realize there's a cost to this. Do you realize that many people who agree with me on these issues just across the board won't touch this topic because they don't want to deal with the defamatory nonsense I deal with on a daily basis? Look, there are many white non-Muslim authors that have written books about Islam. This is not about you in particular. And you don't have the kind of offensive language in here that you've said before in terms of we are at war with Islam or all kinds of, yes, chauvinistic viewpoints. But I mean To quote the armored skeptic, Citation, please. <laughs> Where the heck 
has Sam Harris ever been chauvinistic? Unless, like I said, you're doing some kind of gymnastics where you're saying by denouncing burkas and arranged marriages or something, he's somehow being chauvinistic because um, he's not being fair to Muslim women who actually enjoy those aspects of their culture. I mean, back to my earlier point, I think that doing something like this is not difficult. And yes, it does make one money. In fact, I've been offered to do it myself. And I'm not afraid of being called anything. And I am critical of Islam. Could have fooled me. So, I mean, if if you want to complain about having your feelings hurt, that's one thing. But let's have an actual discussion of the merits of what Reformation looks like. It it has nothing to do with having my feelings hurt. Again, I, I, I have to linger on this point because you're so far from reality here, and you're so satisfied that you are in touch with it. So just listen to me for a second. Again, I'm talking about me, my career as a best-selling writer and scientist, right? You have, you've made certain assumptions here, and they're Sam, totally you wrong. Sam, career by attacking religion, and that's totally fine. What were you doing? Damn straight, it's totally fine. Trying to spread truth and reason and calling BS on supernatural claims. I'm perfectly fine with Sam or anyone else making a living off of that. Before you wrote The End of Faith. Seriously, you were, you were a PhD neuroscientist, right? You made a lot of yeah. money off of this. Someone a little jelly? Once again, who cares if he made a lot of money off of it? If he's being sincere and promoting reason, who cares? More power to him. What's the problem? Here is a fact. Focusing on Islam, right, to any degree, writing this book with Majid, having this comp, having you on my podcast now, okay? alienates a significant percentage of my core audience. I mean, even the, the people who know I'm not a bigot, the people who see no more merit in defamatory Salon articles than I do, right, don't want to hear me talk about Islam and Islamism because it's the most boring thing in the world. Now, I can tell you that there is almost no one in my core audience who wants me to spend any more time reiterating my concerns about Islam. And yet you seem to think that I am pandering to a huge audience for mercenary reasons. There's not a scintilla of truth to this charge. You just conjured it out of just an unfriendly act of imagination. Yeah, well, I mean, look, if I look at your career and the things that you said before Sam Harris became waking up in meditation, Sam Harris, it's... Sam Harris has always been waking up in meditation, Sam Harris, you douchebag. (laughs) Even back when he was doing... Uh, when he was writing The End of Faith. Even back in that period, he was still someone that was interested in consciousness and meditation. And even though an atheist like myself, who was still nevertheless interested in quote-unquote spiritual topics. It's all been attacks on, on religion, and that's fair. But some of the things, of course, that you said about Islam before, which garnered a lot of controversy, rightly so, and I hope we can talk about that, your rhetoric. Um, those are things that you should expect to be uh, criticized for. Uh, and look, I don't want to talk about Islamism either. Either I've got a wide variety of interests and, and creative pursuits that I'd rather be doing. So this is on me as well. And if, you're, if your listeners are, uh, are going to be alienated by an opposing point of view... They're not going to be alienated by an opposing point of view. It's, it's your assumption that Majid and I... I mean, it's, it's especially agree, egregious with Majid, but I, I'm focusing on, on my part for the moment. It's your assumption that I am pandering to an audience that is hungry to hear me reiterate the problems with Islam and that this is a lucrative thing to do. What, what sort of advance do you think Majid and I got for this book? I mean, you've probably heard that best-selling authors get six-figure or seven-figure advances for books. What do you think we got here? I'm not sure. You okay. tell me. 
Okay, there was no advance, right? Yeah. And now, how much? And can I ask you? I mean, I, look, I don't want to go into into your finances. That's your personal business. But uh, but look, this is Islam and and the future of tolerance. You weren't talking about reformation of Islam five years ago or four years ago. You were just talking about attacking Islam. And you can believe that a religion is deluded and wrongheaded, and yet still prefer that its adherents be moderates rather than fanatics. So you would still be desirous of reformation. And I think Sam is about to say something to the same effect. Uh, if so, I apologize for the redundant statement. This was originally supposed well, to be a blog post. Well, if, if, well, if I'm not that's mistaken, not true. If, that's not let, true. Me just, let me just make one quick point. This was originally supposed to be a blog post. And this reads like a long email exchange between two people. I can't believe I spent $20 on it or whatever the price was. Oh, this kid is unbearably snarky. And who cares if it is an email or blog conversation or exchange that then got translated or transcribed into a paper book. Wouldn't be the first time many such books have been made. And Majid and Sam found their exchanges so poignant that they then had the idea of turning it into a book because they thought other people might find the conversation interesting too. But um, and Majid proposed that it be a book. And I think part of the reason for that, it's fair to assume, is that you would have made more money by publishing as a book than you would have by publishing it freely on your blog. I don't know about Majid. I imagine it's probably similar. But Sam constantly writes blogs and articles, you know, providing people with free content. Why is it wrong for him to want to publish other works and get paid for it? I paid people pay a premium to read something that should not be that that should not have a premium price attached to it. This is my it's funny. He called Sam haughty, but he seems to be the arrogant one to me who put him in charge of arbitrarily deciding what content merits what price point point here. OK, well, no, that's not your point. Again, you're it's one of my points. You're just you're not in touch with reality here. You're not in touch with the cost professionally, reputationally, for touching this issue. You think that there are windfall profits for anyone who wants to say something negative about Islam. That's just simply not the case. So let me just give you another example here. When Ben Affleck called my comments about Islam racist on Bill Maher's show last year, okay, I was trying to launch a book about meditation and the nature of consciousness and a rational approach to spirituality. And that's a book that I actually had been paid a fair amount to write, okay? And there was literally not a moment for the rest of my book tour where I could talk about my book, okay? Instead, I had to deal with idiots who thought that Affleck made sense, right? And honestly, I've spent much of the last year doing that. Now, do you think, just consider this with fresh eyes for a moment, do you think that when you're trying to launch a book about spirituality and meditation and a scientific understanding of consciousness, do you think that having to endlessly beat back charges of racism and bigotry is a good thing for marketing that book? Is that a moneymaker? <clears throat> Two points. The first is that there is a huge audience in the United States for right-wing politics and right-wing views about Islam. This is not, this is not new, right? I, I'm, I'm sure that you are aware of this. And you encounter it all the time in the media and half of American democracy, at least one of the two major parties, has been caught up in this. The second point is that the reason why people were so critical of you and asking you all those questions is because on that appearance on Bill Maher's show, 
You called Islam the mother load of bad ideas. You threw out a number that at the time, I think that this is where some of your critics were unfair, where they said you pulled it out of, out of thin air. And I, I don't think you, I give you more credit than that. But you called Islam the mother load of bad ideas. And the guy next to you, Bill Maher, who I also really like, I think he's a funny comedian and, you know, I love watching his show, but he compared Islam to the fucking mafia. That, those are his words. Hey, 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 watch it with the F-bombs. I'm trying to run a family show here. <laughs> and the uh, thing about comparing Islam to the mafia, yeah, not every Muslim is going to want to kill you if you try to leave the faith, but the possibility of having to face death as a punishment for apostasy is a real problem in certain Islamic cultures. Let's not pretend it's otherwise. And there might be other religions out there. I, I can't think of any examples. Um, you know, not Buddhism, not Jainism, not Christianity or Judaism. I can't think of another religion where people in this day and age face death for leaving. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, I know there's parts of Christian Africa where people are still being killed for being witches. So who knows what's going on, say, in those types of cultures. But predominantly, when you hear of people being threatened with death for leaving a religion, it's Islam. Now, what do you, you expect people not to raise those questions when you're going around? The point I'm making is that there is a cost for this. This is not a self-serving, opportunistic, profitable thing to do. And most people who agree with me won't go near this topic because of all the pain it causes them. There is no upside to it. Now, yes, there are a few right-wing areas of publishing where a couple of people can sell books uh, pandering to what you might call, I think more legitimately call, a racist or xenophobic or, or bigoted audience. But that is not the market for Majid and me. And I mean, it's just, it's incredible that you're, you're, you're not seeing this, okay? So I, I am someone who deals with many other topics, whose audience wants him to deal with other topics. At this point, almost anything but Islam, right? I mean, just picture this, right? I mean, do you think that anyone pays a lot of money to hear me come tell their students or employees that Islam is a terrible religion? No, I mean, look, I don't, I'm not sure what your sources of income are and who, you're, who, who pays you and who doesn't pay you, but I'm certain. Then why do you keep asserting that they're in it for the money? That if tomorrow or in some time in 2016 you were you were to say expand the part of the end of faith dedicated to Islam and, and write out the most withering critique of Islam that you could possibly write, I'm sure that would sell very very well, especially in the United States, especially in Europe where people are getting very antsy about Islam. You, I mean, look. Oh, very perceptive. Why do you think they're getting antsy about Islam? Could it be the Bataclan Theater? Could it be? Even though this is after this, it took place after this interview, the coordinate attacks in Belgium that happened this week, could it be Charlie Hebdo? Could it be radical imams? I wonder why the hell people are feeling antsy. If you think that criticizing Islam and doing it in very heated rhetoric doesn't sell well, then honestly, dude, you're deluded, man. Like, it, it sells extremely well. You, you get platforms. You can go on the media. You can market your books, and you get more followers and more readers, and people want to hear that. You could also write books about baseball, healthy living, or how to make your man fall in love with you all over again. 
It doesn't mean that the authors aren't sincere just because there's a market for something. You're wrong about this. Okay, you're wrong about this. I, I have five New York Times bestsellers under my belt now. Okay? The first one being The End of Faith, The okay. Criticism of Religion, which started yeah. it all. What's your point, you smug little shit? Who cares if that book was successful? You don't think that Sam Harris is actually interested in religion and enjoys writing about it? Yeah, yes. Okay. But there's much more to the book than that. And it is not focused on Islam. And it was the first book in a wave of, of quote, new atheist books that started this publishing trend. You couldn't publish the same book today and hope to get lots of readers. And my book with Majid it was never expected to be a New York Times bestseller, hasn't been a New York Times bestseller, was not written because we thought this was a great angle to make a lot of money. It was written to communicate specific ideas, which I hope we will get into. And it was written as an example of a conversation that succeeded, right? Majid and I started out far apart when we first met, and we converged in a very happy collaboration. And we're putting it out there as an example of how a conversation on this topic could and we think should start. Now, the fact that you don't understand the reputational costs to this, the fact that you don't understand how much damage has been done to our public conversation on this topic by articles like the one you just wrote, right, and by periodicals like Salon that title them the way they title them, is flabbergasting to me. And I'll draw the, the picture even wider for you here because you, you really just you do not understand the implications of this. I mean, do you think that when it comes time to get your kids into elementary school, okay, after handing in an application, right, do, do you think that having to warn the director of admissions that a Google search on daddy might just turn up charges of racism and bigotry that aren't true, right? I didn't call you a bigot oh, once so, again. No, you just insinuated repeatedly that he's a phony, money-grubbing fame whore, not a bigot. Chauvinist is in the title of the article, right? Yeah. I, I'm just saying that... Uh, I, I hope they would move past the title, okay, which okay. is what an informed reader is supposed to do. But you're, Really, you're supposed to look past the title. The title is usually what informs a person whether or not they even want to read an article in the first place. That's why authors and editors give them those clickbaity titles. You're, you're deliberate. Well, well, they don't. But first of all, you're deliberately missing the point here. The, the reality is, is that to deal with this topic, okay, especially as a white guy, but even Majid doesn't escape charges of bigotry and even racism. Even Ayan Hirsi Ali doesn't escape charges of bigotry Majid, and Majid, racism. I mean, Sam, but the, the reason that, okay, you finish your point. Then the, 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 the point is, is that to broach this topic is to guarantee a whirlwind of unjustified charges of bigotry, chauvinism, racism, xenophobia directed at you, and an endless trail of this online. And yeah. this is something that self-respecting public intellectuals, public intellectuals who value their time and their sanity, are avoiding at almost any cost. Okay, I know these people. They're my colleagues. And the fact that you not only don't see this, just see it as just pure upside for anyone who wants to defame Islam. They're just going to get a book deal. They're going to get rich. They're going to get feted in, in chauvinistic circles. And it's just going to be you know a gravy train of bigotry that they can ride for the end of their days. Gravy train of bigotry. That is 
insanity. There are, there are always costs to, to entering the marketplace of ideas, regardless of what those ideas are. And there are, of course, benefits as well. And it's in my estimation, the benefits in this case of attacking Islam and attacking Muslims, there are greater than the cost. And there should be criticism and there should be withering criticism of people like yourself and of Ayan Hirsi Ali, who basically call for war against Islam. Like, let, 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 let's, let's boil this down, because you're not an impartial arbiter or peddler, peddler of sophisticated arguments. You have said some very chauvinistic things, and you have rightly been criticized for them. Now, no one should be attacking you personally. You just called him a chauvinist and repeatedly suggested that he only writes books for the money. No one should be threatening you. No one certainly should not be threatening your livelihood or your life. But people should have the right and the responsibility and I think the obligation to offer withering rebuttals to, to, to that kind of rhetoric. When someone says that it is time we admitted that we are not at war with terrorism, we are at war, war with Islam, that deserves extreme scrutiny because it is an extreme statement. Okay. Frustrated sigh. Do, do you I, disagree? Look, if, if okay. I came out, let me reverse this quickly. Let me reverse this quickly, right? I think Israel has a right to exist, and I think that its occupation in the West Bank is illegal, and ultimately there's going to be a two-state solution. Now, as a brown-skinned Muslim named person, I am aware that if I came out and said, you know, we are at war with Judaism or with the Jewish people Omer, or with Zionism, what do you think the response would be? I, I, I just don't understand, I don't understand how you're you're missing this point. Okay, so we can talk about all of that, all right? I am still stuck on this get-rich-quick scheme, this attribution of motive, this picture you have of everything everything in the marketplace okay, of ideas. How much money did you make off the book? How much money did you make off the book? I mean, so, 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 since you claim that all, there's only okay. costs associated with targeting Islam. Okay, what's, what's interesting? Okay, so here, the, here's a nice question. How many right? Twitter followers have you gotten since? Like, these are all things that accumulate on your platform. Okay. N- n- nice question. So... Since we didn't get an advance for the book, right, then it's all about royalties now. We should, it should just be – I should be very concerned about book sales. How many times do you think I've checked with the publisher to see how many books we've sold? I, I don't know, Sam. I don't know. You, 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 that's right. You don't know. Zero. Zero is, is the number you're looking for there. So, so you is, made zero dollars off of no, this? I, I'm, no, I'm sure we've sold some books. I have no yeah. idea how many we've so, sold. So and this I, was and a blog post – that was that turned into a book. So Omer. you went from zero dollars to X. Yes, that's how the free market works. You offer something for sale, and if you're lucky, people buy it. And once again, this tells us nothing about the author's sincerity, and who cares if it started out as a blog post or an email exchange, if it's an entertaining and edifying dialogue. That's greater than zero, right? So you've made money off of this. And look, to me, that's a secondary point, but you want to focus on it. Oh, suddenly it's a secondary point. I thought you were the one trying to drive home the point that Sam was probably just doing this for the money. No, the point is your attribution of a sinister, mercenary, opportunistic, cynical motive to something that is a pure effort to have a publicly valuable conversation. That is what I'm focusing on. I mean, Omer, honestly, your reluctance to concede this point, okay, your reluctance to concede that you actually had no information about publishing here or about our motives or about how much money we were going to make, that you were just 
saying something that sounded right to you that you wanted to believe is true, but now actually you, when I give all, you information. You have just admitted that you made money off of this, number one. Number two. Jesus, how many times do I have to say it? Just because he made money off of it doesn't mean that it's not sincere. It was originally supposed to be a blog post. And number three, you know, the, the new atheist books, The God Delusion, God is Not Great, End of End of Faith, of course, as you mentioned, would not be published today. They've already been published. But would you deny that Project Islamic Reformation books on demanding reformation are not in vogue now? That articles calling for reformation don't go viral every two days? Would you deny this, that no. there, there's a great market and a great readership and a great listenership? For the, for this these kinds yes. of ideas, yes. Yeah. I, okay, I, I, so it's okay. lucrative. No, no, no. I would no. I would deny it. It is the least lucrative and most costly thing I could be doing, right? And I'm informing you about this. I, I don't expect you to know this, but what I'm saying is true. And your reluctance to step back at all from your get rich quick scheme claim says a lot about you. All right. I, I mean, th this is. You're getting your JD at Yale, all right? I mean, what could you possibly hope to do as a lawyer if you're showing this little concern, not only for the truth, but for the perception of your commitment to the truth? I mean, yeah. so, so, so well, I mean look, my, my, my commitment to the truth is completely independent from and, and I think should not factor in financial profit of any kind. Really? That's interesting because I think he has a book in the works. So is his book going to be free? Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe he's going to charge money for his book, but everything in his book is bullshit because he doesn't believe that money and devotion to the truth can overlap or coincide. Right. I think it's a corrupting motive, number one. And number two, as an attorney and someone who is, Jesus actually, Christ. Omer, you're, someone you're... Who is actually interested in, in reforming many... Uh-oh. Mount Sam is erupting. The characteristically placid Sam Harris is finally getting fed up. Communities and in inducing cultural liberalism. I want to work with these communities rather than, which is apparently what Majid wants to do. And, I'll, and here, here, here's something I'll tell you that this book is going to influence and change precisely very few opinions in, in the Muslim world. Again, you're, you're, you're changing the subject. Omer, I'm, uh, the truth I'm talking about here is. You made a claim about our motives that is demonstrably false. Okay, I've given you several reasons why you should... You just admitted that you've made money off of it. We have sold some books. But, yes, from but a blog post. Originally, I thought we could do a blog post. It became such a substantial conversation, and we were it was taking so much of our time, and we wanted to do it right, and we wanted to spend more time doing it, that... It justified the further effort to make it a book, right? So then we wrote a book together, and it was a great collaboration that many, many people have found valuable. We haven't even gotten into the substance of, of the book yet because I'm trying to get you to concede that the information that you thought you had about our motives and about the reality of publishing and about the lack of security concerns that people like Majid and I have, right, all of that was delusional, okay? And I've given you several reasons to recognize that your charge is false. And I can the assure... Fourth point, the fourth L point... Listen on... to me, Omer. I, I, 
I can I'm going to quote you my own words. What I exactly said was, soak up the inevitable publicity that awaits, and with it, your hard-earned cash. You have received plenty of publicity for this book, and you have already conceded that you have received cash for this book. So I'm not sure what, what, what your quibble Omer, is. is. Is it you, with the facts? You, no, no. You describe it as a get-rich-quick scheme. I've heard you on another podcast confidently describe it as a get-rich-quick scheme. You describe There's it, a lot of money to be made. You already said there's a big market for it. No, I did not. It is the worst possible market for me, and it comes with massive costs, security costs. It comes with reputational costs. It comes with the cost of having to try to take people's words out of your mouth. It comes with the cost of a conversation like this that many people could find excruciatingly boring. I mean, this is all bad news from my point of view, and yet I do it because I think it's an important topic to raise. And the reason why I'm having this conversation is not just to deal with the topic of Islam and Islamism and and our disagreements here, but I'm trying to have hard conversations like this because I find the inability of people to get through hard conversations and to converge, right? The inability of people to have their minds changed in real time, the inability for people to admit that they were wrong in real time, that, I think, is actually the biggest social problem we have. It's much bigger than the problem of Islam or religion. It just no, racism it, is the biggest social problem we have, but maybe this is a close second. I would seriously disagree with you there. But the point is, is that two people have to be able to disagree and find some way of talking about that disagreement in a way that's productive. And even on this point, right, where I have all the information, right, where I know about the economics of publishing, where I know what I get paid and when I get paid and when I don't, when I know about the reputational costs and the security costs, and you know none of these things, you still won't back I've seen off the books. an inch. <laughs> I, yeah, look, I've seen the books that have come out according to what I call Project Islamic Reformation, both yours and Majid's, as well as Ayan Hirsi Ali's. I, I recognize that there is a market for it because I could very easily enter this market and make money off of this kind of project. Wow, don't we have a high self-opinion. And you've already admitted that you made money off of this. And so look, to me, this is a secondary point. But if you cannot concede the fact or admit that there is money to be made and readers to be had by criticizing and denouncing Islam or calling for an Islamic reformation, then I don't think we live in the same world. I mean, it's so clearly... My, it, my it, point, Omer, is not that there's no money to be made. My point is that this is the least good way for me to attempt to make money. And there, Majid could make much more money doing something else. Ayan Hirsi Ali could make much more money doing something else. We'll, we'll get to those because later in your article, you make charges against them that I want to address. But here, we're, we're still on the first paragraph here, right? This is the problem, all right? I've given you several reasons to recognize that this charge that we're involved in a get-rich-quick scheme is false. And I can assure you that our listeners will recognize it to be false. And you're tenaciously holding to it past the point where its falsity is obvious to everyone makes you look like an asshole. Bam! Sam Harris. Finally having enough. Thank you for finally saying that, Sam. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I've already we've already established that there is a market for this and a readership for this and that it is it is a trend. You know what you should have done then if you don't want to create a perception of trying to make money, if you and Majid don't go and do a scholarly, serious study of Islam and what needs to be done rather than this, rather than a 128 page pamphlet. 128 pages is a pretty long ass pamphlet. 
which okay. is what this what, what, well, what, and this creates the perception well, let, let, of a financial interest, which yeah. is just as bad as having a financial. No, interest. no. It, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about why the book is short. Why the book is short is because people love short books now, and. The reason why there aren't more of them, and again, l let me just educate you. Please and do not speak to me in no, such domineering tones. No. Okay, I don't oh my, you re really, really, you were slandering the guy over and over again, questioning his motives, talking to him like a smug prick, and when he finally raises his voice a little or has enough of you, then you get all indignant. Absolutely amazing not need to be educated. I'm an educated individual. Th this is something you can't possibly know because everything you say suggests you don't know it. So let me just tell you, how, I mean, how many books have you published? Well, soon to be my first. Okay. You want to charge money for it? Okay. Well, let me tell you a, a dirty little secret about why there aren't more short books in publishing. Okay. There are not more short books in publishing because publishers can't figure out how to make a lot of money publishing short books. They want to publish a 300 or 400 page book and charge you $30 for it. This is the way the costs scale in publishing. And if you publish the 100 page version of a book that really doesn't have to be any longer because it's a very short argument and you would just be padding it to make it longer. And it's actually what people want to read because they can read it in a single sitting and they don't have to decide whether or not they can sacrifice that much time to the book. They can just sit down and read it. Publishing has not solved the problem of how to, to how to publish those books. And contrary to what you assume, this is a money-losing move from a publishing point of view. To publish a short book and sell it for $17 or $18 is much worse from a publishing point of view than selling a big $30 book. And that's why more people don't do it. And when Majid and I write a short book because we think it should be a short book that we want people to absorb in a single sitting, we are pushing against the merely mercenary, merely cynical, merely profit-seeking attitudes in publishing, okay, contrary to what you assume. Let me just ask you a question then. Do you think that you know writing a book about Islam, which encompasses a quarter of the world's population, as you know, and over a billion people, as you also know, and the subjects of tolerance and the future, do you think, do you not think that merits a deeper and longer study? Uh, it merits a, a century of conversation. And Majid and I have, abs have made absolutely no pretense to delivering the last word on this subject. We're trying to deliver a starting point, a novel starting point, which we did. But the price you pay for writing a comprehensive, scholarly, endlessly footnoted book is that you lose the people who can't invest that much time and energy into reading that book. And that's totally understandable. There, there is a place for both sorts of books. And we tried to write the book that you could hand to your friend who's been worried about this topic but hasn't spent any time thinking about it and say, listen, just take an hour and read this, okay? And that was our goal, and it's the goal we've accomplished. But the, the problem is you are – That's not the people you should be addressing, are they? Okay. You want to address Muslims, Again, not wait, the person uh, who doesn't know anything about Islam. It's a separate topic. All right, let's, let's, no, let's, it's the same thing. We're no. talking about who's going to read your book and what's the project no. that you want to all, accomplish, no, all which I've, is reform. All I've been talking about thus far is you're ascribing motives to us that are completely false. I and you conceded all the factual points about the market existing, about you making no. money off of it. Points. This is a stupid little trick that you have to stop using because it makes you look terrible, all right? To falsely summarize what someone has conceded 
is not only annoying, it is effective only with stupid audiences, right? It's going to get you fucking nowhere. So- Sam dropping the F-bomb. You know, you really have to be annoying to drive Sam Harris <laughs> to hurl an F-bomb at you. So just listen to me. I didn't concede that Sam, point. Sam, don't speak to me in those tones. You're be- Sam, don't speak to me in those tones. I can slander you. I can say whatever I want. I can assume the most smug attitude in the universe. But as soon as you get a little fed up, how dare you? Don't hurt my delicate feelings. How dare you talk down to me? Oh, F off, Omar. That's it. I've had enough. There's no way I'm sitting through another two hours of this. If you want to hear the whole thing in its entirety, go to iTunes and look for uh, the Waking Up podcast with uh, Sam Harris. And I'm sorry if I came off as a little bit more rude or impatient than I usually do. But hopefully after listening to that guy, you know, it's understandable. But you guys know a drill, like the show on Facebook, please do follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel, maybe you are. If you want to help the show out monetarily, I'm sincere, but I still like cash. Uh, You can use the PayPal widget on the Podbean page, there's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekindoubt and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. All right, until next week, Space Cowboys. Where'd that come from? Uh, <laughs> this has been the Week in Doubt.